So the basic question, can we use XDP to implement such a queue name slash zone based block list? In the end, we managed, but it wasn't as trivial as we thought. And for this case, we, we used some of the more, I want to say, exotic data structures that are available in BPF. You're listening to Ping, a podcast by APNIC discussing all things relating to measuring the internet. I'm your host, George Michelson. This is a recording made at the end of October with Robbie Mitchell still in the chair. Luke, Willem, welcome back to Ping. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here again. So today we're kind of going back in time, uh, returning to episode eight, actually, and talking to the folk at NL. Net Labs this time, Willem Taroop and Luke Hendricks, picking up a conversation we had about their project uh, looking at Express Data Path, or XDP as it's better known, which can be used to improve the performance of DNS resolvers and increase the versatility of name servers, as well as perform low-level measurements on high-speed links. So it's been uh, 10 months since we last chatted to Luke. Where are we at after our last conversation? Where has the research progressed to? Ooh, 10 months already. So first of all, thanks for this, for this great introduction. As you mentioned, we've been working a lot on these small programs, uh, experiments, to see how we can uh, augment what DNS software is, is doing in user space, mostly to get better performance out of our machines with the same resources. In, well, you said episode number eight, we talked a lot about programs that actually alter packet data of incoming DNS questions. What we've done in recent months is not really look into how we can alter packets to reduce load on such systems, but how can we passively look into those packets to get some insights, to get some numbers out of them, to serve as telemetry, if you will. And it turns out that's actually feasible and, and quite useful. There are some other things that we've looked into that came out of the stuff that we did 8, 10, 12 months ago, questions from operators. Like, hey, we've seen you do this rate-limiting stuff. That's pretty great. But maybe could you adapt it to do this and that and such and so? And another thing uh, that will be, the, the I guess, the last topic of today is how... Can we store certain types and amounts of data that we could not fit into the existing data structures within BPF XDP? So the first telemetry thing and the second adapted rate limiting thing, it showed us that, that storing some types and forms of data is quite problematic because of the limited resources in, in XDP. But we fooled around a bit and came up with something that, uh, that seemed to work for well, DNS-specific domain names, which are cumbersome, but uh, we, we were able to, to store and count them. But we'll get to that. I think we, we should first start with this whole telemetry thing, right? That was the, the main focus, actually, of the last eight uh, to 10 months. Uh, again, together with, uh, with Ronald van der Pol at SURF, how can, we get, how can we get more insights in what our DNS is doing, what queries are coming in, what answers are going out? And I think this is already touching the biggest lesson learned from this, from this small thing. There's two points. You can measure your traffic. You can extract features from your packets. 
You can do this on ingress, looking at questions. You can do this at egress, looking at the answers going out. And in the end, we were able to do both. We could extract information from outgoing answers. And at first, I thought, well, that's what you want to know, right? A answer is work performed by your name server. It has been making efforts to be sure it, it could create an answer and send it out. But does that make sense if we're talking in an XDP eBPF context? So, Willem, yes. you, can, you can explain this better than I can. I was wrong, wasn't I? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but uh, yeah, if you think about where, is, where does it count, then it is definitely at the uh, XDP uh, layer uh, for, so on ingress, so to say, for several reasons. First of it is that DNS software actually already has a lot of infrastructure to do uh, measurements on what it's doing. Uh, most sof- DNS software has the DNS top hook into it, which can be used with uh, all sorts of uh, collectors and things to uh, create sensible statistics uh, out of it. But there's also another reason. If you look at the packets, or there are several other reasons to be uh, precise. If you look at the packets at egress, it has already gone through the whole user space and is being answered. So the whole speed benefit is not there. And then there's the second reason, so, which we also men- mentioned in the blog post, which is on at APNIC, uh, on the second blog post, I believe. If you are doing rate limiting for, at the XTP layer, or you're doing the DNS cookies, right, to uh, assess, oh, this is a uh, returning querier, let's not rate limit, because I know it's a genuine querier, so to say then everything that happens there, all the packets which are rejected, will not be seen by the name server. So they are left out of the statistics. And they're also, if you're using TCP dump or anything like that, that won't see it either because it's rejected right at the front door. We now have DNS tap or TCP dump. We've got passive tap done through the switching fabric using port replication. We have in-server statistics. And now we have a tight kernel model that can choose to play with the field. And it posed the question for me, have we reached a point where you would turn off some of the stats in the server? Do you have enough trust in this framework that you could stop double counting? So double counting, so at some point, so indeed, if you are doing the uh, DNS cookies and uh, query rate limiting or rate limiting. Then the counts diverge, right? Right. So then you have to do it there. I also really like the aspect of eBPF and XP that it is almost like a DNS proxy, right? You're inserting something in front of your user space DNS software, which can add functionality as we've done before, but it can also just look at incoming packets and at outcoming packets and So it's orthogonal from your existing... It's a holistic view, isn't it? Because you still have to instrument your server to understand its mechanistic behaviors and optimize its query and response behavior. But you kind of want a different measure to get a sense of how much could be avoided even passing to that service. And at that point, you just have to have two counts, right? 
because one of them is counting ingress packets that ultimately went to drop in kernel, yeah. and the other is counting successfully handled DNS queries. So you need both in the end. Yes, that's right. That's right. In that sense, it's also different from a actual DNS proxy because a DNS proxy would be like a function. Oh, I'm getting this query. I'm sending it to the actual server, wait for the answer, and then return it. But in uh, EPPF, you actually have to write two programs, one for ingress and one for outgress. And if you want to associate which answer is correlated to which query, you have to do that yourself in a data structure. Besides all that, I do think it's uh, quite useful uh, also for a thing which can be used with any software, whether it does have DNS top or not. And also, you need to do it uh, because of... Uh, yeah, we, we actually did have operator feedback saying, we've been trying out your uh, rate limiting and uh, DNS cookie answer uh, solution, and it works fantastic for us, but we're not sure how much we're rate limiting now because, you know, we, we, we don't see those packets anymore. Can you help us with that? So it's also, yeah, sort of an answer uh, response to that. Just to diverge, where, where is that conversation going now? How are you working with them to be able to show the effects of what, what the program is doing compared to what they used to? Actually, quite some. Most operators are still starting with this, to be honest. But they are very interested because it can save money, right? Because they're now having need all this equipment to answer those millions of queries per second, most of which are nonsense so they're quite interested in if it would be able to use less compute power and resources to get rid of those nonsense queries so to say i think it's absolutely amazing that an in-kernel jit can be functionally able to interpret bytecode and deliver near wire speed if not wire speed outcome and you compare that to the burden up in user space for process context switching and procedural stack behavior or the memory bands it's not like this is free, but it's so much cheaper, isn't it? Yeah, your CPA, you, you just skip the parts where buffers are allocated to uh, put your packet in, and uh, the scheduler is addressed, to which uh, will look into which process is available, uh, is listening to the socket to answer this query. And there's a zero copy benefit as well because you don't have to do that transit from kernel structure to user space structure. So you don't have to do any kind of vectored assembly or recombine. It's just all there. But Luke, I think you touched on that idea of the data structures in the system and that sort of path from holding and counting these things, passing them up the stack into Grafana and Prometheus. You had a bit more to say there? Yeah, that was actually, I'd say, one of the the main challenges in this experiment, we see packets coming in. So by now we, we established that, yes, we're going to do this on ingress, right? So we're going to do this not in the traffic control layer, not in TC, not on ingress. We're going to do this in XDP. So we need to find out which features of these incoming questions we want to count and how we indeed are going to store them and transfer them eventually into Grafana. We chose Prometheus plus Grafana. It's a, well, it's a well-known combination. It, it's often used and it's easy to set up, right? So those were the, the sole reasons to go with that. 
And the output format is human-readable and quite easy. But if you look at the output format, you'll see a, a line saying total amount of, of queries parameterized by, for example, address family. Did the query came in over v4 or v6? Is it a question for an A record or a quad A record? And those kind of things are the things that you want to be able to track. Those are the things you want to be able to count, right? It's similar to what a DSC gives you, for example. Sure. I was thinking quite directly about those structures. They look to be quite closely aligned with real questions that people ask about the DNS in systems like DSC or in Hedgehog. Exactly. That's what the operator eventually wants to know. So uh, that's what we were after. But if you want to keep track of all those numbers and especially the relations between those numbers within a data structure. You have to be, I want to say smart, but I guess I have to say you, you should not be stupid. If you are, you know, if, if you approach it in a very simple way, I'm just going to count every quad A that I see and I'm going to count every address family that I see a query coming in. There is no way you can relate those numbers after the facts, right? Did this quad A query come in over V6? I don't know. We should store this in, in the data structure, in BPF. Now, there's this overview of all the available data structures. And we, we just went over the names searching for what could help us here. What could be the foundation of our, of our telemetry system? And there's a couple that have names like array of hash or hash of array, or there is this, this double layer, this two level sense already in the name. So we experimented a bit with those, but those are not super flexible. Like the first level of these of, of this nested data structure has to be defined already at compile time uh, or uh, populated at compile time, I should say. And there were some other limitations. And to be fair, I I think there was just plain misuse of those of those data structures. Right, but if you were a programmer used to using Perl or Python, these are just the kinds of primitives that you would reach for automatically. I mean, mapping JSON, it's going to be a hash of index points or it's going to be a list of hashes. So you can kind of mentally see why people reach to that bucket. But what you're saying is it's not an adequate analysis for what you're trying to do. Indeed, indeed. And as often is the case, eventually it turned out we could do this far more simple than this convoluted approach. We just used a hash map. And in PPF, the hash map implementation, you can construct your own key and you can get this very key out of the hash map again afterwards. And that's a constant time lookup and insertion cost inside the model. I think so, yes. For those who can't see, because this is a podcast, Willem is nodding. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I haven't looked too deep into the implementation, but the fact that you can get the original structure out of there and you can, I'm talking about the key, and you can define uh, the structure up front means that you can put all these features in that key. And the reason I myself was a bit surprised about this is that if you compare this to, for example, P4, this, this, this data programming DSL that became popular in recent years as well, you can, you can use hashes there to find an offset in a register and store data there. So if we're talking about stateful data in these data plane programming paradigms, that was one of the, of the few things you could do in P4. But there, you calculate the hash, you find the offset, but the key, how you came to that offset, is gone. You can only get there again if you get a packet with the same features, containing the same features to construct that same key again. For us now, in BPF, 
we can just iterate over the hash map and get the next key. And we can fill our own key structs again with it. And we can see, hey, this was AF1, so that means IPv6. This was Q type uh, 28, so this is a, this is a, a, a quad A uh, question. You're sort of overloading bit fields inside the key to give you semantic meaning for what you're looking at. Yep. And so we could do all this counting just with a simple hash map in BPF. Do you have to do your own policing of the size of the hash map, or is there a background task that's going to do mark sweep on your behalf? You specify upfront what the maximum number of entries in the data structure will be. And there are some limits on the key definition. But it does some form of LRU ejection. So you wind up with a bounded growth in kernel. Because the way you've been talking about this in the blog, it reads as if you're saying you actually have to set limits in how much data you hold. The cardinality thing, it's about stopping growth in this kind of internal structure, isn't it? Well, the cardinality thing is actually more on a limitation, not on the BPF side of things but on the next step, on the way to visualize it, namely Prometheus and Grafana. So our key is a struct which has several fields, right? The AF, the the Q type, and a couple of these things. In Prometheus, every possible combination of these fields means another time series stored. So given any collection of fields, if we then add the address family to it, which is, in our case, it's only V4 or V6, so it's either 0 or 1, it doubles the number of time series in Prometheus, right? This is the cardinality that the blog post talks about. And there is this best practice of not going over a cardinality of 100k. And this also depends on your network, and it depends on what you want to see, what, what you want to get out of this, of all the telemetry stats. Uh, we have to take into account this limit of 100k and we cannot just keep on adding features and features and features. Uh, and for example, queue types, what kind of queries do we expect and do we want to count? There is how many queue types are standardized, like 60 or 60 plus? How many do we see in practice? It's do we multiply our current set with a factor of 60 or do we only want to count A's and quad A's? And so there's there's these design decisions which arose from not a limitation in BPF. We have this key, which is, I, I think we can go up to uh, 64 bytes or whatever. We can, that's, that's, that's plenty for what we want to do. But exploding these in all the uh, possible combinations, that can go far beyond 100K. And that was surprising because... For once, the limitation in what we could do in resources was not in the XDP part, but it was actually in user space, even though it's, you know, you can go over 100K, but everything will be slow, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a, it's just a best practice. But there was, a, there was a nice one for once. And if you keep that into account, it actually works pretty well, and you can still stuff enough in it. One problematic thing that we ended up not putting in here was the actual queue name, the actual domain name the question was for. We put in the TLD, but putting in the entire queue name, as you can imagine, it makes this space that we try to limit to 100K, it makes this cardinality go, go well, basically unlimited. If I remember the nature of BPF, and I'd assume eBPF, you can actually stack multiple filters with almost no increased cost in serving the output state. 
So if DNS tap is written using BPF, you could probably say, oh, wait, there's a .com overload. I'm going to use DNS tap to drill out the exact queries and have a look down the tree at the exact second layer and third layer labels that are causing me problems. There's nothing to preclude you looking at other metrics in other systems, surely. That's true. That's true. Yes. So you were collaborating with other people in the Dutch community looking at the technique for this? Well, this was this was done under the research program at SURF uh, at the time. So there was not so much collaboration going on, but more sharing of knowledge, sharing of results. But we, in this case, we were the, the only people actively working with this technology. There was a SurfNet relationship. Yes. I think they've had quite a long-standing relationship with NLNet, haven't they? Yes, that's true. Yes, for... I wanted to say decades. But yeah, Ronald, Ronald van Pol actually uh, used to work for uh, NLNet Labs uh, as well, <laughs> who, who does the research on network uh, program at uh, SURF. By the way, it's not no longer called SURFnet, it's now called uh, SURF. And unfortunately, that program research on networks also doesn't exist anymore. But I, I think the gist of this is that uh, what you quite often see in uh, XTP, or what, what uh, Luke uh, just told you about the limits, is that you have certain knobs you need to tweak. There are certain fixed limits you need to set, and, um, and you have to find a balance for your specific situation. So this, this is already the case uh, with collecting those statistics, but uh, definitely also with looking at the query names, which I think uh, Luke was uh, getting at. Hmm. If you looked at this technique and tried to make a more generalized abstraction for another context, you'd wind up spending a lot of time doing the information model of metrics you wanted to count in that protocol stack. It doesn't mean you can just lift this code and suddenly measure quick, for instance. You have to think about which aspects of quick do I care about counting in this model. Yes, exactly. So. Moving on from the telemetry, we're moving into the zone limiting as well. What was involved with this, uh, the, the rate limiting program? Yeah, so I think it was one of the first experiments. Can we do rate limiting, simple rate limiting within XDP for the sole reason to just drop a query as soon as possible? If we know we don't want to answer this thing, let's not traverse it up to, to user space, et cetera, et cetera. We implemented this thing based on the rate of the incoming queries from certain IP addresses or subnets. If the rate exceeds a certain threshold, okay, party is over, we're not going to answer. Some operators tested this out. The program worked, it, it worked as expected, but they were actually more interested in a, a rate limiter for specific zones, because in reality, most often, those operators saw an increased rate of incoming queries, but only for certain zones, certain subdomains of what they served. And if they can limit those, drop those immediately, they would reduce the load on their systems and have a more fine-grained control over the thing. Could you give an example of those zones? Well, if you host, for example, anelnetlabs.ml, and there is a tech going on misusing uh, subdomain1.nlnetlabs.nl. Maybe there are 
clients in subnets that are abusing you uh, using that subdomain one.nl.labs.nl that you still want to serve. But if you do rate limiting based on a subnet, you will block all of those folks out as well. Well, you can see there is this specific domain that is misused for whatever reason, and you actually want to only limit queries for that subdomain. There is probably uh, more finesse that you can add to that explanation, but we figured, well, this sounds like a almost a trivial thing. We should be able to do this in XDP, right? How hard can it be? So we took on the challenge and we didn't want to use the word challenge at that point. So the basic question, can we use XDP to implement such a queue name slash zone-based block list? In the end, we managed, but it wasn't as trivial as we thought. And for this case, we used some of the more, I want to say, exotic data structures that are available in BPF. Uh, Willem, I saw you're shaking your head already with my explanation. So correct me. Yes. Yes, yes, it's it's not trivial, and it's again because in with BPF programs, everything needs to be verified beforehand that this program will at some point stop. But parsing a, a query name is already a challenge because, okay, we know that a, a label has a maximum of sixty-four bytes, but how many labels are there if you would just parse every label? then you, you could have an infinitely long query name. It could be a mangled packet, and it certainly could be an abusive packet using query name compression to generate things that explode in size at you. Yeah. If I have your context right, the thing here with BPF is the programs have to stay small because they're running at the clock counter of the kernel. They can't run for an infinite time. They have to live within bounds. Yes, that, and also we have to sit to say there's a maximum of 128 labels and each label is a maximum of 63 bytes long because otherwise there is a, a possibility that the program will not end yeah. and the verifier are just not loaded. And even then, if you parse it like this, the verifier will assume, oh, this query name is 8K long because it takes all the the worst case scenarios, right? It will take it will take 128 labels, each 63 bytes long. But luckily, there's this mechanism called tail calls in which you can call a different BPF program after uh, you you did one. So we have one BPF program that uh, stretches the limits to a eight kilobyte uh, query name, and then it can call the second one, which says now. The total of this query name should be within 255 bytes. And then the verifier knows, okay, we are still within 1500 bytes or whatever. And both of them are deterministic and both will run in fixed time. And they can both be proven to complete within your constraints. Yes, exactly, exactly. But there's not a lot of cardinality, to use this (laughs) word again, in in the verifier. It, It just has one. It can test one thing, one limit. So it makes sense to chain those programs to enforce those limits on what you... So it sounds like what you're constructing is a logic that would let you have more than one condition to perform the drop test on. And you have the drive from the operators to say, could you limit it on this name because I want to have defense against this risky label? Yeah. But then the other side of the deal is, yes, but you've still got to count unique IPs and query rates in another way. 
So it's like a two-key, two-dimensional lookup yeah. to determine if you should be dropping and what the constraint set is on which you drop. Yeah. The challenge we set ourselves was basically, can we do XDP uh, logic, make choices based on the query name and based on perhaps a lot of query names and test to see if a query name is part or a subdomain of a certain domain name. And interestingly, so there's a lot of uh, kernel or data structures in BPF that you can use, which are really very usable to the kernel. And uh, one of them is the... Uh, You're going to say Radix trees, aren't you? Yes. They're my favorite data structure. Yeah, it, well, in this case, it's in the kernel, it's, or in BPF, it's called the uh, longest prefix match tree. The context here is that they get used all the time for IP address lookup structures, but they are literally looking at bits and strings. And if you do the expansion on compressed query names, there are bit strings. So it's perfect for both cases, isn't it? That's right. That's right. The first use case would indeed be uh, to, to look up uh, IP address in a, a large uh, table. There's no limit on, it's not that they took you can store a maximum of 128 bits in this uh, LPM try. You can actually store a lot more bits. Um, you can use the same data structures to uh, store the uh, query name. The thing I love about computer scientists is we can never agree how to pronounce the words we read. So you say try and I say tree. And you're probably right, but I'm sticking to tree. Well, it is spelled T-R-I-E. So to make the distinction between the tree, like the, the T-R-E-E, you know. Well, it's spelt tree, but it's called Patricia. <laughs> English. That's right, yes. English. Unfortunately, we don't do drum roll effects on the podcast, right? But you said the goal you set yourself was... So it just worked, right? It was another pleasant surprise that... Uh, this uh, LPM tree would uh, match this uh, use case so conveniently. So it can be used to indeed uh, look into query names and match subdomains. So when we did this, especially thinking about telemetry and statistics, we uh, set ourselves another challenge, which is can we get a uh, top X out of or top N out of uh, uh, matching those uh, query names. Yeah, this is uh, again uh, not trivial because of those fixed boundaries that you, you need to set in BPF. I think we found a way, didn't we, Luke? We found, we found a way, I would say, yes. So we wanted to count, as you mentioned, a top N of, of Q names that we saw in incoming queries. And Trying to do this within this telemetry program was problematic because of exploding cardinality. But doing this in any of the available data structures was problematic if we took into account uh, possible attack scenarios or malicious scenarios where, for example, domain generation algorithms are feeding a lot of random, randomly generated queue names into your system. Because one of the Available data structures sounded pretty promising again. I think it was the least recently used uh, hash map, which just purges elements from it that, well, have been, you know, not used recently. 
Um, so that sounded like a thing that that for normal scenarios would work. We could see queries that pass by often, and we could just keep account on on those. And you know, queries that are not seen often enough will fall out of this data structure because you know least recently used. But at certain points in time, if you are in the midst of a of a attack, that map could be flushed with all kinds of nonsense domain names, right? And that might be an outlier case, but still it, it doesn't feel right. It's not the proper solution to this problem, right? So we wanted to look for another way. And eventually we settled on another data structure that uh, might not be your number one, George, but it should be in your oh, top, in your it, it's, it's in my top set for sure. <laughs> so we're talking bloom filters, right? <laughs> Bloom filters, yes. This, for doing counting and lookups and networking, bloom filters are a often uh, used tool. And I think the explanation on Wikipedia is great, even though I don't know it by heart, but it's a data structure that has a certain false positive rate. You can, you can ask the question, uh, have I seen this item before? Have I counted this item? It has, a, it has a small false positive rate, but for sure it will not give you a false negative. So if it's in your map, you're sure you've seen it before. If it's in your map, maybe you have not seen it before, but this error rate you can actually calculate. And now I'm not going to make a statement on the records that I am able to calculate all those rates, but there's plenty of tools online that you uh, let you tweak with nice sliders, tweak all these parameters. How large should my bloom filter be? How many entries do I expect? And what is the error rate that I can tolerate in my system? So with those things, we started out implementing a bloom filter, which only needs an array. You only need an array of bits that you can toggle to implement a bloom filter. And you've already said that array primitives are one of the things you get built in with XDP. So you didn't have to reach far into the data structures available within the toolkit to implement the bloom filter. Exactly, exactly. And the great thing is because it's such a simple map type within BPF, if you have the hardware to offload BPF, these hardware, these smart NICs, they tend to support the simpler map types often, but not the more complicated map types. So maybe this this last recently used one, for example, and I don't know, but it seems to be a bit, you know, a more a more complex thing. Maybe you could not offload your code, but with this array-based bloom filter implementation, that won't be a problem. But okay. We started to implement this, and as I said before, there is this small error rate. So you have to take into account, you know, your network, your traffic that you will ingest. But you can tweak all those things. And we used it to function as a first step. We have a bloom filter, which technically is a counting bloom filter. So it not only says, yes, we have seen this queue name before, but it actually keeps track. We have seen this one time, five times, 20 times. So we use it as a first filter step, if you will, to say, hey, we have seen this queue name coming in now for a certain threshold number of times, for example, 100 times, now we will start keeping track of it in an actual hash map and keep the count there. And that's something we will expose to, for example, again, a uh, Prometheus Grafana uh, usable output. So 
using a bloom filter as a first step um, it's fast it's quite trivial to implement in the end and it it works now the painful thing well I, I should not use the word painful, I think. When we finished our first proof of concept implementation of this thing, which still has some shortcomings and some to-dos in the code, and you know, I checked out some, some recent kernel, uh, Linux kernel change logs, right? And just as we were finished with our own Bloom filter implementation, there was a new map type introduced for BPF. Well... I don't know about you, Luke, but for me, I always consider these happy days because if it's a choice between running one I wrote and being in the bug farm for all the mistakes I made or running one they wrote and someone else is doing the bug fixing, Willem is nodding at this point. I'm a happy man. So it's kind of a groan moment, but it comes with an upside. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I have to be honest here, we, we didn't really look into the uh, provided implementation uh, yet and how it compares to ours. But as you said, I'm quite sure it has less shortcomings and will work better. But it's great to see that our choice for this data structure, it sort of seems to make sense, right? Or at least in a more general way, using a, of course, we already knew this, using Bloom filters in this area. There are use cases for it. So that's great. Uh, and I'm sure we'll use it, the, the actual uh, provided one, we'll, we'll use it for lots of other things that we can think of now in the, uh, in the future, whether it be DNS or other things we'll attempt with, uh, with XDP. Well, it would have very strong potential to move up the food chain into NSD itself, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, uh, definitely. So another thing I'm also thinking about when looking into the future for uh, so the bloom filter helps in uh, creating a two-stage approach to making top n lists right because the bloom filter itself is a count of how many hits you've had in the top set so you can do a simple bit set count form of operation and you immediately have the size of the top end set yes yes indeed so, so looking into the future, one of the feedbacks we have received from operators is that they are looking into how to deal with TCP because TCP has stayed at the server. So answering a lot of uh, UDP queries is easy, right? You get the query, answer it, and you forget all about it. But TCP involves a handshake. And with the increase in DNSSEC, we're getting increase in packet size, which is leading in turn to increase in truncation, which naturally leads to an increase in failover to TCP. Indeed, indeed. And so currently in NSD, for example, you have a fixed set of TCP accept handlers, so to say. So you can, for example, provision it with 1,000 or 10,000 handlers. So if there are more than... 10,000 or 1,000 TCP sessions going on, the new ones will be dropped. So it's quite easily to denial of service, the e-service of such uh, service. It's something that has to be thought about quite carefully in tuning a highly visible authoritative server high in the DNS namespace. You actually do have to think very hard. Where are the limits that you're going to decide to deny service? Yes, 
And I believe that this top N approach that we've addressed with counting uh, query names can also be used here because you can count all the IP addresses which have done successful transactions. I think you can even mark the ones that have uh, received a response with the truncate bit set. Yeah. So you actually uh, give a preference to those returning known returning queries with a good reputation and yeah, put maybe give them a different uh, TCP answering except. Uh, uh, Looking to the future for work, there's obviously fertile ground here for you guys to play in. Have you thought about things like the second order derivatives, the rate of change in these things? Because potentially they could become markers for forward trend. They could give warning lights or traffic light signals to tell people that things are heading into a bad space. <laughs> I, I think the answer is no, we haven't, but it sounds like a, like a great thing to look into, yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you have on the horizon as future plans for this technology? So we just indeed uh, discussed that it's not only the operators who are looking more and more in XTP and BPF, but XTP and BPF itself is also developing at this very moment. So the, the Bloom filter just appeared in the Linux kernel. So I also, so I have one thing I dream about to do with uh, BPF, and that's the the hot cache. Just have a program on the egress, looking at uh, responses, and uh, that program would put it in a least recently used map. And on ingress, you just look at the query, see if it's in these data structures, and if so, just answer it. Replay answers that you already have ready to ship as packets without going up into the server because you know it's a cache refresh in short lifetime. Taking into the account the time to live, of course. The whole thing about Hammer, DNS Hammer, is going to come into play here because to a certain extent you need to see leakage of some of these queries up into user space in order to do the right model of refresh inside the authoritative server. But it feels to me like you could get a significant speed up in response for the repeat hits. Yes, and this this would be useful for both uh, recursive service and authoritative service, right? Because for the recursive service, it just means that their most popular names are going to be answered more quickly. And the same holds for the authoritative service. So the the people serving those or doing the big more popular domain names and serving those authoritatively need less hardware to serve them better. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe neither FreeBSD nor OpenBSD yet support XDP. They do BPF. It's a bit ironic that BPF was born into the BSD kernel, Yes, but the Linux capabilities far exceed BSD in this regard now, don't they? Yes, that's true. And it is a pity indeed. (laughs) It's a huge pity. But perhaps that's a problem for somebody else to solve. You can't solve everything here. No. But you've done a fantastic job this far. I mean, it's a two and a half year project so far and ongoing. It has required you to go back to the basics of learning DNS, which you, you mentioned in your post is fundamental to this. But you're doing this groundwork for the community who's now reaping the benefits or starting to understand the benefits of what this research is and how it will be 
practical for them, as you mentioned, uh, being able to filter out the cruff that is the DNS that a lot of these people see saves dollars and that for an operator is a big win. So thank you, Willem and Luke, for updating us on the journey. As we mentioned, we'll put links into our last Ping episode and to your series on the opening blog for people to catch up on and learn more about the project, including your current post. Thank you. Thanks for having us. For having us. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. And thanks to everyone who's made it this far. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, please subscribe, write a review and tell your colleagues about it. If you've got a story or research to share here on Ping, why not get in contact by email? ping at apnic.net or via the apnic social media channels. Also, remember the measurement and apnic.net mailing list on Orbit is there to discuss and share relevant collaborative opportunities, grants and funding opportunities, jobs and graduate placings, or to seek feedback from the community on your own measurement projects. Be sure to check out the apnic website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time, 